forgot to put that on earlier. So I, I already mentioned this, but have you ever been disgusted? I mean, you know what disgusted means? Like gross, like that's disgusting. Uh, my oldest daughter, Senna, she mowed her neighbor's yard for them and then sent us a picture of a garter snake that didn't quite make the mowing. It was kind of gross. Um, you know, or that disgusting we might, may, we might utter when we smell a dead animal. You know, one of the joys of riding a motorcycle is you're out there in the open wind, but the, one of the other not-so-much joys of riding a motorcycle is you smell every dead animal that's in the road that's upwind of, of the highway, um, which can also be troublesome in, in like Arkansas where there's dead turtles everywhere on the side of the road, right? Um, I mean, it's, it's uh, disgust means strong disapproval, and we can feel that way about our life sometimes, can't we? Uh, disgusted with where we're at, or distraught, or discouraged, or depressed, uh, empty, unsatisfied, no matter what we try, and as we study through Ecclesiastes, we we really find reasons for those feelings. Uh, we think we know. We think it's because we just haven't found enough stuff in life to make us satisfied and to, to clear this, this feeling that we have up, but that's really not the case. We can relate to the teacher's struggles, and we find in it truth with a capital T. Now, last week, is, as we kicked off the series, if you missed last week, I, we, we literally defined our way through the first three verses of Ecclesiastes. We looked at, 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 at Hebrew words and, and the definitions of those words. And if you missed last week, I, I really want to encourage you to take the effort to uh, either go on YouTube or, or Facebook and watch it. Um, you can go to our church website, and immediately after the service, the audio is available on the church website under the media tab. The video usually gets uploaded by Wednesday. Um, you could also, uh, if you're a, a, an Apple person, you can actually find North Hills podcast, and you can have it, the sermons come to your iPhone whenever there's a new one. So um, that's actually how my daughter in Texas listens to, to us every week. Uh, but, but we went through lots and lots of words that really help us understand what Solomon is talking about in, in this book. Now, I, I want to give us a, a couple of those this morning. Uh, the, the first one is, is the Hebrew word that's translated in our English Bibles as vanity or meaningless, if you would turn to Ecclesiastes, if you haven't already, um, where it says meaningless or, or vanity, that Hebrew word is havel. And, and Solomon uses that word 38 times in this book. And it doesn't just mean without meaning, which is what the word meaningless kind of means to me. It's like, well, there's just no meaning to it. Um, but, but it literally means without substance. Um, it's like smoke. Uh, it's emptiness. It's, it's futility or, or vapor. You can see it. You, you think you know what it is, but when you reach for it, it's just gone. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing there. Uh, one author described it as what you have left over after a soap bubble breaks, right? Um, whatever disappears quickly, leaves nothing behind, and does not satisfy is havel. Poof. But what, what I thought it was going to deliver to me, it just, nope. 
It failed to do that. The second is a phrase, and Solomon uses this phrase 29 times, and it's from this perspective that Solomon finds everything to be havel, or without substance, and it's the phrase under the sun. Uh, In his description of all the ways that he searched for meaning, and we're going to look at some of those today and and, in the coming weeks, it it is completely and 100% from a human, humanistic perspective. It's, It's under the sun. There's no spiritual component to it. There's no God component to it. In in fact, in many of these verses in chapter one and chapter two, God isn't even mentioned as he records what his experiences were. And he's applying human wisdom, human experience to the complex human situations and tries to make sense of them. And and we do that too. We fall into that a lot in our own everyday lives. And as we study this book, we must keep in mind Solomon's viewpoint. He is examining life under the sun. And also, if you're just joining us, Um, it it is believed and it makes complete sense that Solomon at the end of his life is reflecting back on his experience through life and he's he's recording this. Uh, You know, it says the teacher. So it's possible, I don't know, maybe he was just writing in a a different, you know, I don't know what that would be, third person kind of? I mean, I'm not a, I don't know. I'm not an English, trust me. I'm not, I'm not just that. Um, anyway, in, in Solomon's search for substance and satisfaction, he searched everything under the sun. Uh, and, and the teacher found that there is a cycle to life, and, <laughs> and we aren't in it. Okay, uh, follow me here. In, in the opening two chapters, Solomon outlines the problem with living life under the sun. Because it's a problem. There, there's four ways that we can become disgusted with life. Because that, that's what conclusion, that's the conclusion, one of the conclusions that we draw when we live our life this way. When we invest everything that we are and have into these four things, but only as it relates to life under the sun, it's a problem. Uh, first, we find the monotony of life. Solomon gets all scientistic here, actually. I, a, a kind of elements of the earth, earth, wind, and fire. Uh, look at verse 4 of chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. Generations come and generations go. Us humans are here, but for a moment. We are pretty temporary. But it seems, but, but, but it seems like the earth remains forever, right? But the earth remains forever. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Um, it's the circle of life, right? The circle of life. Um, nothing really changes, right? Um, it, it's like the instructions on shampoo. Has anybody ever read the instructions on shampoo? I mean, you should just know how to use it, right? No, it says wet hair, work into a lather, rinse, and what? Repeat. That's what this planet is like. Um, Nothing seems more permanent than the earth, as sure as the world we utter sometimes. Sure as the world, I'll be there. Um, It it just seems permanent. Uh, I mean, when you compare thousands and thousands of years to a hundred years of life, it seems like an eternity. The earth stays the same, but humanity comes and goes. Generation after generation, humanity comes, humanity goes. You come, you've come, I've come, we're going to go. The earth's going to continue. 
the earth is going to continue. Uh, verse 5, uh, he hits the sun or fire. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. It just keeps doing that, right? We, we can count on that like clockwork. Right? That's how we set our clocks. By the rising and the setting of the sun. Yeah, wow. Well. Dang it. Um, and he says, what does it, the sun, really gain? What, what does the sun accomplish? It's, it's up one day, it's down the next. It's up one day, it's down the next. And on and on and on and on. For the last 10,000 years, the earth and heavens stay the same. Uh, verse 6, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. The wind, man, I mean the wind blows, right? Um, if there's something that we know about in this community, it's, it's the wind. Um, it never blows when we want it to or in the direction you want it to. Like when you're sitting next to a campfire, if it could just blow this way the whole time. And if it could just blow just enough to keep the mosquitoes away, right? But it's either, you know, it's, it's peeling back your skin on the front of your face, or it's just kind of swirling around and constantly blowing the smoke into your face. It just, who knows um, when it's going to blow, or even where it comes from. It's constantly moving, yet it's still the wind. We can't see it, but we know it exists. We come and go, but the wind... As long as the planet is here, it will always be here. Well, what about the sea? Look at verse 7. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. It is a cycle, right? Um, it, rain or snow, then runoff, then evaporation, then more rain, then more snow, then more runoff. Lather, rinse, repeat. Verse 8, all things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Ouch. I mean, I kind of want to be remembered. Um, there, there just isn't any way for us to be satisfied, is there, if we, if we simply chase things under the sun. Uh, we won't see enough. We won't hear enough. We want new things. We want the next best thing, right? The new thing. But that never happens. There is nothing new under the sun, the, the teacher says. Um, all the new things, right? Yeah, but, but, but mankind is such a great inventor. Yeah, okay, but not creator. You have such a creative mind. Yeah, but I can't create. I could invent, I can rearrange. Uh, we don't come up with new, new things. We combine things to maybe create. We think we create a new thing, but it's really just things that were already here put in a different order or in a different concoction. Um, and, and not to jump ahead, but Solomon gives us one reason that, that the fact that we're never satisfied searching for things under the sun, and, and uh, he gives us this in chapter 3, verse 11. He says that God 
has put eternity in our hearts. He has put eternity in our hearts. And the results of that eternity in our hearts is our inability to find peace and satisfaction in anything except what is eternal, and that's him. See, we've been created with these vacuums, a a, a spiritual vacuum and a a people vacuum. And, And only God can fill the spiritual vacuum, that eternal vacuum. And if we don't have both filled, we're going to be imbalanced. We're going to be lost. We're going to be disgusted with life. Uh, St. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. You have made us for you, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you, God. Under the sun, apart from God, life, life is monotonous. Next, uh, he finds the vanity of wisdom. Uh, meaning and substance surely can be found in wisdom, right? I mean, God wants us to be wise, and, and Solomon has been gifted by God. He was the wisest of all mankind. He asked for it, and God gave it to him. He blessed, with him. he blessed him with it, and he moves here from scientist to philosopher. I mean, let's just think about this problem, Solomon says. Let's just, um, right away, we're not going to jump into things. We're just going to think. We're going to use the minds that God has given us. Surely we can solve this with our mind. <clears throat> Verse 12, I, the teacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief and just... I wasn't going to talk about this, but I just really have to. We've been having this conversation in, in staff, and, and Brandon talked about it, I believe, with the youth kids, about the fact that, that when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? Yes, they disobeyed God, but what did they eat of? The tree of what? The knowledge of what? Good and evil. You see, God didn't intend for us to have all of the knowledge that we have concerning good and evil. We, it's almost like we know too much. And doesn't Solomon just say that? Look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. And, and then he says this, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. All this applied only to the world down here. And Solomon's conclusions are it's all smoke. 
There's no substance, no meaning, no purpose, just an endless cycle of life. And there are millions of people on our planet today who are living that life. They're just, I mean, they just, life's just going to be over when they die. I'm just going to cease to exist. So I got to get all the everything that I can get until it's over. And that's the, that's the enemy. That's the battle. There's, there's this emptiness in their life, and they're trying to fill it with things under the sun. And you can't. We just can't. It's impossible. We were not created that way. You can't run a diesel engine on gasoline. We tried it once on a mission trip to Mississippi, right? My daughter tried it in Minnesota. Fortunately, it was, empty, it was about empty and there was enough gasoline to just have the engine die, not actually kill the engine. Because, I mean, it can run on just a little bit. You get that just perfect, that mix, so it runs, but then it runs really, really hot and it's not good for the motor. It, 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 we have been created a certain way. And, and Solomon is researching the way under the sun, an endless cycle of life. And, and Solomon knows because he tested it all. All of it. And we're going to see that through the coming weeks. Uh, he experienced, he tests, and he tested life. He found monotony in life. He found vanity and wisdom. And he also found that there was emptiness in pleasure. Uh, look at chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Pleasure-seeking in our world today is a multi-billion dollar industry, probably trillion. I didn't research it heavily. I just look at our culture and go, I mean... People will pay almost any amount of money to buy experiences. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that all pleasurable experiences are bad. That is not what I'm saying, okay? Do not hear me say that. Um, but, but generally, when we buy experiences uh, under the sun, we're looking to temporarily escape from the burdens of life. Um, there, there isn't anything wrong with having fun. There isn't anything wrong with enjoying pleasurable experiences. But when our focus is solely under the sun, yes, it's fun, but it will always come back empty. It will not fill what we sometimes hope it to fill. Right? You've, you've done that before. If, if I could just have that one thing, if I could just get that new car, that new boat, or that new house, or whatever, I would just, I would just be so satisfied. And when that happens... I mean, first there's like the, the shock of, I just did this thing, right? And it's like, should I have done it? Should I not have done it? Um, and, 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 and it just, we need to recognize that that doesn't provide long-lasting pleasure or fun. Pleasure-seeking can, can it really, it quickly diminishes into selfishness, right? Um, 
And selfishness destroys intimacy with God and, and true joy. Seeking selfish pleasure leads to all kinds of sin and indulgence. Oh, it leads to valuing things and thrills over people and relationships. Uh, we, we, we are to be channels of pleasure, not reservoirs of it. That was a statement I read in a book this week. Channels of pleasure, not reservoirs. We should find great joy in sharing what God has blessed us with with other people, not reserve it all up for ourselves. That's what that statement means. And when, it, when we talk about pleasures uh, of the flesh or of experience and that sort of thing, I, I want to enter in what is called the law of diminishing returns. The law of diminishing returns. Okay, that, that, that basically says if we live for pleasure alone, the enjoyment we get from that one thing, whatever it is, I, I always like to, to describe this to youth group kids uh, in uh, the realm of a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. You know, you, you, you meet that boy or that girl, you're attracted to him, and there's this, I mean, there's just this giddy in your heart, and, the, you know, there's this feeling that you get, and eventually you see him often enough, and that feeling kind of goes away. So then, so then, you, oh, then you hold hands, and whoo! Right? That holding hands just gives you this incredible sense of desire, and then, and, and then the hormones start moving as well, right? And, and then, but then after a while, you know, holding hands, that's not really that big a deal. And so then what? Right? You, you, you begin being drawn to that feeling, and, and uh, there's this diminishing return. So you just got to step it up a little. Step it up a little. Step it up a little. And what... what what we all need to, what you all who are single need to understand is, is when you're in a relationship with somebody from the opposite sex, your body does not know you're married. You're not married. Your body doesn't know that. God wired us in a certain way for good. But when we step outside that and we begin to tempt those hormones, the body's like, Right? Okay, here we go. And, and, and that's, that's hard to shut down, but it will cause problems. And it happens with everything under the sun, right? Sex, drugs, alcohol, um, pornography, fishing boats, campers, gambling, fame, or any other pursuit. It's the law of diminishing returns. Yes, if I'm seeking this, yes, it may give me that for a little bit, but it's going to fade. You know, it, and then we become, you know, adults playing with the boxes instead of the toys that they came in. When pleasure alone is the center of our life, the result will ultimately be disappointment and emptiness. Solomon knows. He, he tried it. Um, pleasure alone also fails to bring satisfaction because it usually appeals to only a part of us. Um, you know, never our whole being. And, and there's a huge difference between shallow entertainment and true enjoyment. Entertainment has its place. I'm not saying that we should not be entertained, but we must remember that it's temporary. 
Um, it helps us escape life for only a few moments. True pleasure not only brings delight, but it also helps us grow by enriching our entire being. True pleasure, like, like sitting in a room or around a campfire or around a table with, with friends and family that you love, and, and you're eating, a, a, you know, and, and the dishes are cleared, and they say, keep your fork, and you're like, whoa. Can this get any better? Right? And you finish your dessert, but, but as you just, if we take the time and you sit back and you just look who's there, how special they are to you, um, it, it, it speaks, the gift that God has given in them, it, it speaks to our whole life. And we can walk away from an encounter like that and just feel full. We can feel full because we're not holding on to everything and, and thinking the things of this life are going to fulfill us. Monotony in life, vanity and wisdom, emptiness and pleasure, all done under the sun. The teacher also found that work done under the sun was havel, um, futility in work. We were created to work. That, that's one of God's gifts to us. He put Adam and Eve in the garden to, to, to manage it, to work it. Uh, and of course, the, the toil aspect of, of work uh, was accelerated after the fall as part of the curse. Um, but we were created to work in coordination with our creator. Verse 4 of chapter 2, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs uh, to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I, I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He endeavored to accomplish great works, and, and he had some great uh, jobs. He, he had some great projects. He had some great workers, but he uses a lot of personal pronouns in this, doesn't he? I did this. I did this. I did this for me. I did this for me. Well, when we do that, when our work is only for ourselves, it is havel. It, it's, there's no substance to it. It's just flat toil and exhausting. I mean, its purpose, work, is distilled down to money, right? If, if money is the only benefit that you get from your job, that has to be exhausting. I mean, really. The benefit, our, uh, the benefits of work comes from God. God gives us a paycheck. But, but it is not the reason that we're to work. But Solomon does it all right. And, and yet again, he says, it's smoke. It's empty. Nothing. But, but he kept trying. Verse 8, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and, and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and, and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Oh, man, that's the sin of comparison, right? In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. That is our world in a nutshell. I mean, if you want something, it, 
It can be delivered to your doorstep. Maybe even tomorrow. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was chavel. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Even in all his wealth, there was futility, right? The futility of wealth, the diminishing returns of wealth, because we can't keep it, and we definitely can't take it with us. Uh, It stays here, 100% of it. We don't get to keep it. Um, we, We can't protect it either, can we? I mean, it can always be taken away. And then when we die, someone else is gonna get it. And that may or may not be helpful to them or others. Um, And in a selfish pursuit of wealth, we can't enjoy it as we should because it is never enough. It's never enough. We always need more. The law of diminishing returns, right? We always need more. I, I, I wonder how many of us in this room are making two, three, maybe four or five times more than we did 25 years ago and we still can't just seem to find the space in our budget, right? Where does it go? How, now, a little bit of that is inflation, right? I mean, it, it costs a little more every year to live, but it would be interesting to look at our checkbook, well, our bank statements today compared to 25 years ago. What did we spend our money on? What did we live on? Why are we not doing that today? Um, you know, where, what, why, are we, why, are we, why are we working so hard at getting more when maybe we don't need it? And, and, we, don't, and we don't take the time to enjoy what we have. Um, so once a year we go on a family uh, this will be the second year. I say that like it's every year. This, at the end of July, this summer will be our second annual Anderson family camping trip. Just Sarah and I and our kids and, and Asher, our grandson. And uh, they're, they're driving here, flying here, whatever. Um, and look, if, if we tried to find the time to do that, we would never do that. If, if we tried to find the time to go fishing or find the time to go to the lake, seriously, are, are we ever going to find, find the time? No, we have to make the time. We have to decide in our mind that that's what I'm going to do. We put it on our schedule and we defend it like it's life depends on it, right? Because if we don't, something will, will jump in there. That's true in every aspect of our lives. That's true in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a matter of how important is it to me. You know, is it just a, is it just a good idea? Or is it something that truly, truly is required for my survival in this life? 
Um, wealth is, is futile. I mean, Jesus explained it this way. Look up here, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of pleasure, of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. It, 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 it's not the things. God blesses us with things. He blesses some people with lots of things. That's wonderful. We should celebrate with people that, that they don't worry about when their next meal is going to be, and that, that they have saved up, that they have been frugal in their life, and they have saved up enough so that when they can't work anymore or they're unable to, their needs are met. But if they're only reserving that for themselves and they're not sharing that wealth that God has given them to bless other people, then it falls under a totally different category. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying don't be smart. He's saying don't be selfish. He's saying don't just live for yourself, but live for others too. And let's store up those treasures in heaven. I mean, what else is there, right, Solomon? I mean, I think you've probably covered it. But no, wait, there's more. Verse 12, then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. He repeats himself a little bit. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. You see, the, there is this certainty of death. Death is certain. It's a guarantee. If Jesus doesn't return, you and me, who were given breath by God, will take our last breath on this earth. And it doesn't matter how we live or what we believe. It doesn't matter what we prioritize in life or how we spend the time that we have been given. It doesn't matter what we value or, or chase after. It doesn't matter. Life is it. It's the final, or death is it. It's the final thing, and it happens to all of us. We all have a certain number of days that, that we're going to be on this earth. The fate of the fool is the same as the wise, and the wise will be forgotten just as the fool is. The good hockey teams will be forgotten just as easily as the bad ones. The good football play teams will be um, forgotten just as easily as as the bad ones. I mean, I know the Broncos have won Super Bowls, but I couldn't tell you what year it was. I, I 
can tell you a couple of the times who the quarterback was, but for the most part, all the rest of the team, ah, eh, not really. They're pretty much forgotten. And, and honestly, does it really matter? At a time in my life, it did. I mean, I was depressed for a week if my team lost or whatever. Look, seriously? Come on. But that's, that's how, that's where we have to fight the world. That's where we have to fight the enemy. See, it's not, for me, it's sports. It might be something different from you, for you. Look, you're not exempt just because you're not a sports person. There are other things in your life that happen the same, this same way. You, you, you get drawn into those and they become super important and, and uh, you know, you become depressed when you don't get it or whatever. I mean, um, in the end, truly, it is Havel and all of, the, all of their efforts and their work and their sweat and, and the, the money that's spent and all the time that was spent, uh, you know, talking about a hockey team, simply, if that is simply about a silver object... It won't be long before it's empty. It may feel good for a night, and you just spent three years working your tail off to finally accomplish that. And woohoo, yes, that's great. Go, team, go. But, but really? I mean, all the good and bad hockey players are going to die. All the good and bad pastors, they're going to die. All the good and bad dads and moms and bosses will what? Yes, die. And all is Havel if only experienced or done or toiled after under the sun. So, how are you feeling? Feeling good about your life? Feeling good about Solomon and what he's done, what he's uh, trying to teach us. Maybe, maybe you're feeling disgusted with your life. Maybe you can look back on the last month or year or the last three years and you're pretty disillusioned. And, and I hope that after reading through this and studying through Ecclesiastes, you can know why it's possible to feel that way. Because it's when we're just trying to do it on our own. That, that we feel that way. Um, I mean, Solomon, want, Solomon is doing what he, he wanted to accomplish. He's, he's trying to get us to look up from the bottom of the barrel. Because it's at the bottom of the barrel that we realize the only place that we can look, right, is up. And that's where we have to look. Um. You see, there is an alternative to this that Solomon's been talking about. Uh, he, he summarizes for us in verses 17 through 23. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All, all of it is meaningless, a chase after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun, right? 
That's how we feel. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. I mean... He's done the ugly work of tasting life under the sun. He's lived the empty life, and we need to learn from him. And, and, and we kind of get the feeling that maybe, maybe Solomon has lost all hope in life. That, that his conclusion is pessimism and cynicism. We, and, and we come to the, to the close of, out of chapter 1 and 2, and here we see the first of six times in Ecclesiastes. He does this six times where Solomon emphasizes the importance of accepting life as God's gift and enjoying it in God's will. In these conclusions, he finally, rightfully refocuses his mind above the sun. Uh, He doesn't conclude that we should just all eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. No, he advocates not for fatalism, but for faith. He advocates for faith. Thank God for what you do have, he says, and enjoy it to the glory of God. 1 Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. His conclusion is not unlike what we saw when we looked at the sin of indulgence. You know, love stuff, use people so that you can use people to get more stuff. That's not Christianity. It's not biblical. It is sinful. It is ungodly. And Jesus says, or in 1 John 2, 15 and 17, it's recorded, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. It's actually more like we pass away, right? (laughs) We leave. So we need to to enjoy life and be thankful to God. Um, A person, verse 24 Uh, Chapter 2, Ecclesiastes. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You see, the things Solomon has lifted here in and of themselves, and rightly so, um, rightly used, the basic things in life are sweet and good. They're given to us by God. Life and death and wisdom and wealth are... They're all in his hands. The the length of your life and mine, it's in his hands. Now, I could probably be stupid and do something to to short-circuit that. Um, You know, like jump off a building and think I could fly by flapping my arms fast enough. 
Um, but that wouldn't be within his will. Enjoy life and be thankful to God. Life and death, wisdom, wealth, they're all in his hands. You see, the blessings we have are given to us by God, and we need to remember that. We need to be grateful for that. We need to recognize that that's where, that's where, we, that's where we're filled up. That's, that's where we are satisfied. That's, that's where we're content to be poor, honestly. It doesn't matter where we're at, what we have, what we don't have. If, if we are content living with ourselves focused on the kingdom of God and on him and serving him, he promises us he's going to take care of us day by day. And with each passing moment, he's going to take care of us. So we need to acknowledge the giver just as much as we acknowledge the gifts. He created us to work. He gifted us with a job and a family and friends and all the things that we have. He gifts us with the things um, that he wants us to enjoy life with, but in a relationship with him. Uh, because that, too, is why we were created. Uh, uh, first part of the month, my son went to Turkey, and originally uh, he wanted to just do a vacation. He was going to do it by himself. And I'm like, dude, seriously? I would hate to go somewhere by myself. I mean, to experience good things, right? I want to share that with somebody else. That's because that's who we are. You know, he did go, but he went there because he has a friend that lives there. And they, they did stuff together. And he got to see stuff and got to share with his friend who's a missionary over there. Um, see, God, even when we're seeking him for wisdom or even in his correction of us, right? It's good. It's good for us. It doesn't feel it at the moment, but he never makes a mistake in correcting us or giving, uh, giving to us or placing our steps. He, his blessings are not empty. They're not smoke. They truly satisfy. What a generous God we have. And, and so let's be grateful for his love and blessings. And, and I also believe that the ability to enjoy those blessings is also given to us by God. Because remember, when we start focusing on those things and only, and then we start thinking things like, wow, I'm pretty good. Look at all I've done. Woohoo, yay me. You see, we, we need help. Our default is selfishness. Our default is arrogance of mind and thought. Our default is worldliness. It's ungodliness. Those things need refashioned and rehabilitated. And the only way that happens is if I submit and, uh, and surrender everything to God on a daily basis. Uh, and as I do, he molds me and helps me to enjoy the blessings he has given to me. We are a new creation. Not perfect, but in process. And we must submit things under the sun to that process. We can enjoy life and be thankful to God because of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, look up here at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. If the worship team wants to come up here. For Christ's love compels us, Paul says, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who died for them and was raised again. We live for Jesus. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We are all going to, we are all eternal beings. All of us. The question is, where is that eternity going to be spent? And he says, though, though we once even regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Why? Because he died and was raised again. He's alive today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Paul goes on to say in verse 19. And then in verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is no greater satisfaction in life than to know that my soul is going to be in heaven, that I am in communion with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. I don't have to wait to die. It's today. So where are you living your life? Are you living it under the sun? Or are you, do you have your eyes clearly fixed on the kingdom of God? Because everything under the sun is havel. But it can be a blessing in our life if we're living for him. As he gives us those blessings in life. Those joys. Those, those gifts. Even those hardships. So where are you? Have, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him as your savior? Are, are you feeling disgusted and discouraged with life right now today? Or maybe your heart right now is just feeling, oh God, you love me so much, thank you. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sing some songs here. And this is what I want us to do. We're, just stay seated. We're going to start playing, singing. Look, you can stand if you want. If somebody next to you stands and you just don't want to stand, don't stand. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. You want to jump up and down, seriously, jump up and down, although these don't really, they're not that kind of song. If you want to come up here and kneel and just pour your heart out before God, whatever, repentance, joy, praise, if, if, if you want to come forward and, and, and just surrender your life to Jesus Christ, maybe the first time, just do that. Say, God, I'm here. I believe you. Forgive me. Help me to live my life. Let's start.